Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a former pastor and two accomplices defraud churches of more than $3 million in a loan scam. United Methodists continue to look for ways to split amiably, but some are becoming impatient. And we take you on the ground to Romania for a look at churches who are helping in Ukraine. We begin today with the story of a Colorado pastor who is suing his congregation for defamation. Yeah, a Colorado megachurch pastor has filed suit against former church staff and members for defamation, slander, libel, and conspiracy. Uh, Jonathan Wiggins is the pastor's name. He's the lead pastor of Res Church, located in Loveland, Colorado, a suburb of Denver, and affiliated with the Association of Related Churches, or ARC alleges in his amended complaint filed in the Larimer County District Court that defendant's statements hurt his personal and professional reputation. Warren, this is a complicated story that includes accusations of drug use, homosexual behavior, and attempts at reconciliation that ultimately fell apart. Yeah, in fact, it's so complicated that it uh, probably wouldn't make sense to recount it all here, though I do recommend that our listeners read Kim Roberts' story that lays out the details. Kim is a lawyer herself, and she read through the complaint and was able to summarize it in a really helpful way. My main interest in covering uh, this story here, though, on the podcast is to note that at least this is at least the third story in recent months that's involved pastors and or ministry leaders suing the organizations that they lead. Stovall Weems sued his former church, Celebration Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, sued Liberty University for nearly $10 million. Yeah, and the Bible warns against Christians suing other Christians. Yeah, in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, Paul reprimands church members who had filed lawsuits against one another. Now, that's not to say that Paul strictly forbade lawsuits or taking disputes to the civil courts, but the civil court should be used only in, an ex in extreme circumstances, uh, Paul seems to be saying. And my point in bringing up the issue here is that this behavior seems to be more and more common in our reporting about churches and ministries, more common than I've ever seen before. Well, our next story involves a fraud perpetrated against churches. Yeah, last week, the last of three criminals confessed to conspiring to defraud their victims as part of an elaborate scheme that they had cooked up way back in 2013. The news was announced by the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, which charged the three men in 2019. The three defendants, one of them is a former pastor, devised a complex scheme to provide unconventional construction loans to churches and other development projects, that according to Manhattan U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman. But instead of helping to build houses of worship, the defendants allegedly took the money and built, you might say, a house of cards, a Ponzi-like scheme. And the total amount of the fraud was more than $3.5 million. 
Yeah, it was. Raymond Robinson is the name of the ex-pastor. He was sentenced to 42 months in prison and three years of supervised release. He was also ordered to pay forfeiture of $17,750 and restitution of more than $3.2 million. His role in this scheme was to find and contact churches that needed loans to expand their facilities. He then referred the interested parties to his co-conspirators who drew up fake loan papers and got deposits from the churches. How are they able to pull off this scheme? Well, Robinson, who is 70 years old, lives in Texas, and he had experience and some credibility to woo uh, clients. He's a former minister himself, veteran of the church building industry. For years, he ran Ray Robinson Ministries, a church consulting firm based in Branson and Jefferson, Missouri. An Ohio office for Ray Robinson Ministries was set up in 2014 after the fraud was hatched. So they had gone to pretty elaborate means to make people think that they were credible and knew something about ministry. Also sentenced was ringleader Jeffrey Crossland. Yeah, he got 51 months in prison and three years of supervised release. He operated an organization called Crossland Capital Partners and uh, several other companies as well, which created the fake loan documents for the fraud victims. His firm was based in Santa Monica, California, and had a history of troubles. It lost its membership with FINRA, which stands for the Financial Industry Financial Industry Regulation Authority, back in 2009 for failure to pay fees. And by the way, the third man sentenced was Stephen Parente of Buford, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta. He was sentenced to 33 months in prison, three years supervised release, and also ordered to pay forfeiture of $33,000 in restitution of nearly $3 million. So how did this scheme work? Well, first they would go to churches that were looking for loans for their building projects. And often they might be churches that um, didn't have the um, collateral to go through more conventional uh, loan offering organizations like banks, for example. They would take deposits from the churches to begin the loan application process. And over time, working with a lot of different churches, they took in more than $3.5 million in deposits over about a two-year period from April 2013 to March of 2015. Now, of course, they had no intention of actually giving loans. So when impatient clients demanded to know where the money was, the three men promised that it was just a slow process. They would deliver, and they would also warn them if you reported their conduct to law enforcement authorities, they would take legal action against the churches. But some of the victims did end up reporting them, and they were charged a couple of years ago, though the sentencing took till this week. Let's look at one more story before our first break. It's an update on the controversies at Grove City College. Yeah, we've been covering this story for a while now, and a summary of a lot of history is this. When author and activist Jamar Tisby spoke in a chapel at Grove City College about race and related issues, he ignited a conversation on campus and among alumni about whether Grove City was a Christian college, a conservative college, or both. That, that conversation has spilled over into the broader evangelical culture and is being watched by uh, college presidents and others all over the country. 
Now, since Jamar Tisby spoke, there have been some more uh, adjustments at Grove City. Yeah, Grove City has always celebrated traditional values. Its rejection of federal funding is a case in point. It doesn't accept any federal funds at all. But more recently, it has struggled to balance its conservative political identity with broader Christian commitments. After a group of parents raised the alarm about critical race theory infiltrating the school, for example, a committee was set up to investigate, and they released a report in April, which we reported on at the time, acknowledging that there were instances of CRT advocacy on campus, but absolving the school uh, from allegations that it was going woke, as the report called it. It also recommended uh, adding some language to the school's mission statement, specifically adding the word conservative to the school's mission statement after it was removed in 2021 over concerns about the terms shifting political meeting. Now, since then, Grove City stakeholders have both celebrated and balked at that April report and the remedial actions that were listed there. Some of those remedial actions included enhanced scrutiny of guest speakers, rebranding the Office of Multicultural Education and Initiatives, and replacing an education course accused of inculcating tenets of critical race theory. So what happens next? Well, a lot of people think that this controversy is a tempest in a teapot. Uh, Isaac Willor, a sophomore a political science major at Grove City, wrote an article for the National Review and said that um, it's a shame that Grove City has become a talking point in a larger culture war. He told Religion News Service that the debate uh, should have been a campus matter, and its nationalization has only made campus culture more polarized. Uh, according to uh, Willor, so much of this is just overblown. Uh, the claims of woke are overblown and the pushback has been overblown. The pushback to the report is also a little bit overblown. Now, according to Paul McNulty, the president of Grove City College, the dispute presents an opportunity to overcome divisiveness uh, found in the broader culture. He said that we must follow Christ's command to love one another and then take our shared calling to be peacemakers. No Christian community can achieve unity of thought, but it can be united in love. Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, more on how churches are bringing aid to war-torn Ukraine. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Our next story is about how churches are continuing to work, sometimes creatively, in Ukraine. Yeah, churches in countries that border Ukraine have become important staging facilities for the flood of equipment and supplies that are ultimately bound for the war-torn country. They're also serving as temporary shelters for those fleeing the country. Our story focuses on Church of Christ churches in Romania. Yeah, through an organization called the Christian Relief Fund, which is the relief arm of the Church of Christ, materials are being ferried into the country and people are being relocated out. In one church in Patisti, a city in southern Romania, uh, they set up a sewing machine in the middle of the church's auditorium. Now, you might think, what's a sewing machine doing there? But the sewing machine has become really important to the life of the folks staying there. It whirs almost constantly as people both repair clothes and make quilts. The quilts will go to Ukrainian refugees in Patisti. Some churches are even using their baptistries as vegetable bins. Up next, Warren, is the latest in the transitions facing the United Methodist Church. Yeah, the Global Methodist Church, which is a new theologically conservative denomination, was formally launched last week, uh, emerging after decades of rancorous debate over sexuality and the ordination of marriage of LGBTQ members. So individual churches have left, but there's still some controversy about entire conferences. Yeah, that's right. The regional bodies of the United Methodist Church are called annual conferences, and the national body is called the general conference. And while the denomination's Book of Discipline does have a provision for individual churches that wish to leave the United Methodist Church with their properties, there's nothing within church law that would allow an entire annual conference, which is there are 53 of these regional networks uh, within the United States alone to do that. So they're going to have to come up with a plan that according to the denomination's judicial council. Now, this issue may be coming to a head, though. Well, it is in part because, you know, coming up with this plan is just taking so much time. At least two annual conferences, the Northwest Texas and the South Georgia conferences, are set to consider resolutions to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church at their annual meetings coming up this summer. Uh, the Judicial Council is trying to take these, uh, I, I don't want to call them renegades, but these early adopters of a new plan uh, into account as it's making its decision. The Northwest Texas Annual Conference also approved a non-binding resolution last year indicating that it planned to leave the United Methodist Church for a conservative denomination should the General Conference pass a proposed protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation. Now, that came according to the United Methodist News Service. A lot of the confusion is the result of ongoing delays in establishing a protocol. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the 2020 
2020 general conference was set to consider uh, the proposed protocol that would have created a pathway for churches and annual conferences to leave with their properties to form new denominations. Conservative United Methodists had announced preparations to launch the global Methodist church after a general conference vote. But when the general conference was pushed back to 2024 by the COVID-19 pandemic and other issues, the global Methodist church pushed up its timeline. And that's why we saw some of those churches leave to be a part of the global Methodist church this week. Now, of course, the irony here is that the decision to establish a protocol was made precisely to prevent this kind of splintering. Uh, But the delays that are kind of inherent in coming up with this protocol have produced the very result that they hope to avoid. Well, Warren, we're going to take another quick break here, but when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, Bishop Vashti McKenzie, a recently retired bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, has been named the interim president and general secretary for the National Council of Churches, which is an ecumenical body that has about 37 uh, denominational members. That announcement was made on Tuesday, May the 10th. McKinsey succeeds Jim Winker, who left the post on January 31st after serving in the role since 2013. She officially started on April 1st and is expected to serve a two-year term. Yeah, now the National Council of Churches, as I said, is composed of 37 member denominations, and they're from Protestant, Anglican, Historic, African-American, Evangelical, Orthodox, and even Peace Church traditions. But it is considered to be pretty significantly on the progressive side of the theological spectrum. Uh, The largest evangelical denominations, including the Southern Baptists, the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, and the Presbyterian Church in America are all not members of the National Council of Churches. A new survey finds that evangelical Christians are likely to give to secular charities over Christian organizations. Yeah, more than half of evangelicals chose a secular charity over a Christian organization as their favorite target for giving outside of their own local church. That, according to a new 
poll by Gray Matter Research and Infinity Concepts. There are more than 59 million evangelical Protestants in the United States, according to Gray Matter Research's definition of what an evangelical Christian is. Uh, researchers said that of the 34 million who gave to charities outside the church, about 18 million chose a favorite organization that is not a Christian group. Only 16 million favor one with a Christian philosophy. Among the 19 charities favored by evangelicals, only seven uh, had were faith-based or were faith-related in any way. And I've got to say that um, just for those of you that want to dig into this study more, we've been kind of talking about it for the last week or so here at Ministry Watch. We've written an article about this. In addition, I had Ron Sellers, the president of Gray Matter Research, on the uh, extra episode of the Ministry Watch podcast. It's a fascinating conversation. I really strongly recommend that if you want to dig into this more, you ought to go check that out. Now, who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, this week we're featuring the Inspirational Network, which is based right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, they began sort of in their current form uh, in 1994. Today, only about 15% of the TV network's programming is, in fact, Christian. Most of the programming, in fact, is vintage Westerns, such as the old TV program Gunsmoke. But it has found a way to make that programming extremely profitable. It took in more than $41 million last year, and its president, David Cirillo, topped Ministry Watch's list of most highly paid executives. He took in more than $7 million in salary and other income last year. You can read more about going to the Ministry Watch website. Now, what ministries did Christina Darnell spotlight in her Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, she had a, a goodly number uh, this week, Natasha. I won't be able to go into all of them, but let me mention a couple. Forgotten Missionaries International is an indigenous church planting group that uh, is based in Kenya. They held a pastor's conference, and uh, one of the things that they're trying to do is to combat the false teaching, especially prosperity gospel preaching and syncretistic and animistic teaching that is starting to be a part of the evangelical church in that part of the world. Also, Hope Homes of the Ozarks, which is a ministry of adult and teen challenge based in Springfield, Missouri, helps former inmates secure jobs and reintegrate into society through a nine-month program. We have a little bit of a profile of that group in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week. And it seems like the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association shows up about every other week in our Ministries Making a Difference uh, column. They now have deployed re rapid response team of crisis-trained chaplains to Eurasia, this time to Poland, to provide spiritual and emotional support to Ukrainians who have been forced to flee their homes. And one personnel note before we go, the American Bible Society's Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, which is in Philadelphia, has named Rob Wonderling as its new executive director. Wonderling will take over this new role in July, and he previously worked as the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce of Greater Philadelphia, which is where the American Bible Society is now located, and he was a Pennsylvania state senator. Do you have any final thoughts before we go today? 
Yeah, I've got a few uh, sort of housekeeping items, you might say. First, I wanted to let everybody know that I'll be on the Pilgrim Radio Network this week to discuss the role journalism can play in reforming the evangelical church. The Pilgrim Radio Network has 10 radio stations on 30 transliters in the uh, Mountain West. That's including Wyoming, Montana, Nevada, and California. So if you can listen to a Pilgrim station— Check out that conversation. Uh, I'll be sending a link to the conversation in my daily emails. I also appeared with my friend Jason Jimenez on his podcast, Challenging Conversations, to discuss a biblical response to scandal in the church. It was actually a two-part, both podcast and YouTube video. You can find that conversation by going to standstrongministries.org and hitting the podcast tab at the top of the page. And finally, um, one more item of harassment here. I want everybody to know that this program would not exist without the support of people like you. We take no money from the ministries we cover. We're 100% donor supported. And now we have a way that you can give via text. If that's your preferred way of giving, just text at Ministry Watch to 52014. Again, that's at Ministry Watch to 52014. Pretty easy. And we can now take donations that way as well. Do you have anything else? Well, if you have a story that you'd like us to cover or a ministry that you think needs a closer look, I hope you'll send us an email. Our email address is info at ministrywatch.com. And a reminder that uh, you can help this program, even if you're not able to make a financial donation by, of course, praying for us and rating us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find us. And it doesn't cost you a dime to do that. It's quick, easy, free. And uh, just go to your podcast app and scroll down until you see the rating. Give us uh, whatever rating you think is appropriate, and uh, we'd be grateful. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Kim Roberts, Yonat Shimron, Steve Raby, Adele Banks, Eric Trengard, Rod Pitzer, and Christina Darnell. Special thanks to The Christian Chronicle for contributing materials to this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.